0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You listen to the Bite Size Business Breakfast Best Bits from Monday, March the 13th, where we spoke to the CEO of OSN. They've just uh, done a deal. uh, Well, it's an add on deal to an existing deal. They have a long term relationship with Warner Brothers Discovery to bring HBO content to the region. They've now become the exclusive partner uh, with the aforementioned company uh, to stream HBO content uh, pretty much uh, as it's released in the United States, but also setting up a a variety of other channels to honour that agreement. Joe Cocobani is the CEO of OSN. He came in uh, on the morning of the Oscars, in fact, in which their platform did all right as well uh, to talk about this latest deal. Justin Dargan also joined us, Justin's a global energy expert for Carnegie Endowment. He joined us from Washington, D.C. to talk about the latest Saudi Aramco numbers. Their not-profit surging 46% last year. That was just one of several earnings reports that we were reflecting on throughout the course of this morning. Uh, also did push Justin for his thoughts on the closure of SVP uh, the Silicon Valley Bank over in the United States over the course of the weekend. Uh, also over the weekend, we got more details on this new airline to come out of Saudi Arabia, uh, Riyadh Air, uh, which is going to be based in you guessed it, Riyadh. Um, we're told, well, we heard twenty thousand jobs to be created with the setup of the new airline, uh, hundreds of destinations all by twenty thirty etc. So ambitious targets, that's for sure. For the new airline, Nick Humphrey joined us live on the line. He's from Norton White, obviously an aviation expert. Wanted to get his thoughts on what it takes to set up a brand new airline. Also, plenty of reaction to the closure of the Silicon Valley Bank over in the United States. The second largest closure of a financial institution in the United States in the history of the United States. So is that going to send a ripple of threat through the markets? Is that going to have an impact on others? Uh, Market watchers will be keenly watching as the markets reopened today. So we got the thoughts of Mohammed Ali Yassin on that subject as well. He was in studio to... Uh, tell us what we can expect from the SVB collapse. Is that going to have an impact? You also give us his thoughts on the AdNoc Gas IPO and other uh, market movers here in the UAE. Mohamed is the Capital Markets Advisor and Specialist. Again, he joined us live in studio. All that right here on the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Just want a quick one on the on the SVB um, situation over in the United States. Mohammed um, was kind enough. Mo, Mo Ali Yassim was in a little earlier on. He was giving us a bit of uh, insight on that one. You just had Justin Dargan as well giving his uh, thoughts as well. Um, it, it, it's interesting, isn't it? A lot of people... A lot of these things are timed accordingly. Uh, if you did it on a Monday morning, then you can guarantee that there's going to be panic at ATMs, banks and otherwise throughout the course of that week. If you do it on a Friday afternoon, it gives people a weekend just to sort of react to it as well. But um, a couple of just takeaways from this. I mean, SVP, OK, I'd never heard of it before last week, but let's not kid ourselves. This was a big bank And for it to collapse, in fact, it's the second largest failure of a financial institution in US history as well because of its scale and significance. For it to collapse within 48 hours, surely there's got to be concern.
1: Uh, There is a lot of contagion concern around the place and it's the reason that regulators have shut down a second bank uh, today on a Sunday um, Silicon Valley Bank was a lender with a huge amount of exposure to the tech space the mm. startup space um, and this is one of those um, issues that has just been a game of dominoes um, where they had put a lot of their money um, by which I mean their depositors money in long-term investments and then had to make um, calls to bring it back in because uh, there were a lot of checks that were effectively being written by startup and tech companies that have had a rougher year of it this year than maybe they did during the pandemic um, you're getting less money Back If you are cashing in a long term uh, deposit, that got obviously a lot of people worried about whether or not the bank could honor their deposits. And then you kind of got a new look, good old fashioned, if you follow me, run on a bank. Hmm. Uh, And I was looking at some analysis of it over the weekend. And it comes down to things being as simple as people who have deposits, WhatsApping. Others that they know in the industry with deposits and saying, yeah, we're, we're going to pull us out and move it to X bank. And then you think, well, I should probably do the same. And it's that crisis of confidence that actually ultimately brings the bank down. So that's obviously what regulators are trying to stop happen with Signature Bank, uh, which is more of a lender to the crypto space. Uh, and there's an argument here about whether or not you should have so much exposure um, in one industry, because then, of course, the woes of the industry get distributed on your door, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, literally doing what it says on the 10. Uh, we did see banking stocks get punished a little bit on Friday. Uh, the fact that regulators have, have stepped in and said that they are going to provide some loans for institutions that have been affected by these bank failures do seem to be calming down the markets a little bit. As Mohamed Ali Yassin mentioned, we've um, got some stronger futures um, ahead of the uh, US uh, markets opening today on Monday. But basically people want to make sure that this is not a wider systemic failure.
0: Has this got anything to do with the Fed's aggressive interest rate hikes? A lot of analysts suggesting that the failure is partly down to that or not?
1: I would say a tiny bit because obviously that affects what the long-term bonds are worth that have been um, sold off to get some cash in by the guys at SVB. Um, but I do think that this there's there's about five or six um, factors in, in play here. It's not solely that. Yeah. Well,
0: look, that's just one of the stories that's doing the round. It is one of the big stories, obviously, and we will watch on with interest when markets reopen over in the United States. At the moment, all we've got to go on is what's happening uh, with the Asian markets as they are opening up at the moment or remain open. Uh, in the meantime, though, we're looking also at our local markets. They're all fine, They're absolutely fine at the moment. Why? Because yet more amazing numbers coming out uh, throughout the course of this uh, uh, weekend. We ad not gas, Aramco, Ramco going live to. Day, a new airline in saudi arabia where do you want to start you've discussed it with muhammad ali yassin
1: yeah we are going to be discussing it in about 15 minutes as well um with nick humphrey he's joining us live on the line from australia big announcement on sunday afternoon that we do have a new airline a long rumored airline coming out of saudi arabia riyadh air headed up by tony douglas he formerly of it ahead. um it's a story that we were waiting for and now we have some information
0: yeah, uh, Adnoc Gas, first day as a listed company, shares at 2.37. And that's one of the other big stories doing the rounds locally here. Mohamed Ali Yassim was in studio with us in the last hour. Uh, Brandy asked, asked Mo, asked, it? No, asked Mo, what could that mean for the first day of trading for Adnot Gas?
2: I think the, the high demand we saw and uh, the, the subscriptions and the low allocation that a lot of people got, I think we will see a pop up in the price. Uh, My expectations will be around at least 15%, so I I wouldn't be surprised if I see it hitting 270, 275. Where does it close from there could be be debatable still, but I think it will be closing higher than the price that was sold off.
1: Talk to me about the allocations that people are seeing in these IPOs (laughs) for the money that they're putting down. Put it in scale for us.
2: Well, ADNOC may look actually one of the better ones compared to the ones that are coming following that we expect. Uh, at so about 1.2% for retail investors allocation. For the qualified investors, uh, we know people who got very good percentages, and we got we know the average probably is in the range of around 0.5%. That's very low compared to the amount of money that people put and the lev- and the book building process that the banks uh, do. So people, did, many people, most of the investors, I believe, other than the institutional preset the ones who are the anchor investors with with their lockup period most of the others are actually are probably looking to add into this share because the yield story in this share is really the good yield and it is continuous over the next three years with a commitment from the company to raise it five percent per year and
1: you're talking about dividends there
2: i'm talking about the dividends yes
1: let's talk site. if we are talking mm-hmm. about allocations that share offering starts today how much interest are you expecting to see
2: Bayonet was just blew everything away. I mean, it, it was uh, it went like three times, uh, nearly four times on the first first week, and I think that's going to f- encourage a lot of people to go blindly into subscription, uh, subscribing to the company. I'm not talking about the valuation here. I'm talking about what is available for the investors. This is in a way a bit of it is is like a direct sale for some and an IPO for some. I made some calculations personally, and I thought as an investor, if I want to go in. Um, with we ex- The allocation expected from many of the, of the bankers today is to be below 0.5%. Based on that, you really are, if you put a million dirhams, you may make about 3,000 to 4,000 dirhams uh, on, on, on listing if that's the allocation. If it is lower, you will make much even lower than that. So is it worth the investors' money and time to do this, or should they wait maybe and then go later on in the market and try to buy if they like the story going forward?
0: Muhammad Ali Yassin, the Capital Markets Advisor and Specialist, giving his thoughts on the AdNoc gas uh, listing uh, and the first day of trading there. Uh, we we'll have been looking ahead to the markets for this week as well with the friends at Emirates MBD. Danny Richards has uh, given us his thoughts on what's going to be moving the markets this week, things to be looking out for. As the
3: new week begins, markets are still digesting the big events of last week. So as namely Jerome Powell's testimony to Congress the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank in the US, and another upside surprise in the NFP job support that came out on Friday. So markets are really considering whether all of this makes a 25 basis point hike or a 50 basis point hike, the most likely outcome of the upcoming March FOMC meeting. Now, the key thing to watch out for this week in that regard will be the US CPI inflation print, which is due out tomorrow afternoon, our time. The consensus prediction is that price growth will slow to six percent from 6.4 percent last time, but if we see another large upside surprise, that could see the Fed speed up the pace of its hiking once again. Another key event we'll be watching closely this week includes the ECB Rate Setting Committee meeting where they are expected to hike by 50 basis point.
0: Dan Richards, Senior Economist, Emirates NBD. This is the Bite sized Business Breakfast, exclusively on Dubaii1038.com.
1: Where we are looking at the big stories of the morning and one of the biggest yesterday, and there was quite the competition for that, was a new airline.
4: Get
2: yourself on the air.
1: Yeah, Riyadh Air, the long-awaited new airline from Saudi Arabia, finally announced yesterday afternoon. Uh, It's got some very bold ambitions in terms of job creation, uh, routes and size. Very pleased to be joined on the line now by an aviation expert all the way from Australia. Now, this morning we are speaking to regular guest Nick Humphrey, partner at Norton White. He leads their aviation transport and trade practice in the Middle East. Nick, good morning. Thanks for joining us.
5: Morning, Brandy. It's great to be here.
1: So let's look at how you actually build an airline, Nick. Uh, They've got a lot of Mm. ambition in Saudi Arabia, but how easy is it?
5: There are so many moving parts to building an airline, Brandy. And I guess if we look at the history of, you know, Dubai's very own emirates, which, um, you know, that's 1985. It started with $10 million in seed capital and two wet-leased aircraft from Pakistan International Airlines. Now, I think the ambitions of this carrier are somewhat a little bit more elevated in the speed at which they want to achieve that. And this is not going to come without its challenges. They have the ambition. Um, they've got a CEO. Finally, it's been confirmed, despite some media conjecture late last year, whether or not Tony Douglas would be there, but apparently he is now. Um, it's going to be a challenge. But, um, you know, that the, the Saudi government, and particularly with the public investment fund, have started to build. The, have the building blocks to get to the point of this, um, um, following a couple of announcements late last year. Um, so you've got, you know, that they announced there's going to be a mega airport, a new mega airport in Riyadh, um, which will be looking to compete from a hub perspective with Dubai and Doha in particular in the region. And they even announced the creation of an aircraft leasing company um, that would try to prevent financial leakage that will often happen if a let's say you've got an airline and you're having to go to a foreign lessor. So there's little moving parts that are slowly building together, but these are very grand ambitions. And one thing is, is there space in the market for them?
1: Is there space in the market for them? It's, it's a bit of a
5: serendipitous moment in, in whether that's positive or negative. At the same time, you have a look at one of the really important markets for the Middle East carrier, and that's been India. And they've been the beneficiary of a really – uh, ineffective Indian aviation industry for a long time, up until potentially now. So you've got a lot of that market with what's happening now with the um, privatization of Air India and the capital that's going to go into that and the rebranding that's going to happen with that. Um, then at the, at the same time, you've got a bit of a realignment of the way the carriers operate. So look, I think with it's, it's interesting to read the li- limited information that's been released so far and it's not very clear entirely what the ambition is as far as are they looking to be, yes, a hub carrier, but is the ambition really to draw passengers into Saudi Arabia or are they really going to be competing for the passenger in Asia who is going on with to Europe or North America, um, which is really what the Middle East hubs have been doing. Now, you know with Dubai and Emirates, they've diversified, diversified over time to really have passenger traffic coming into Dubai. Um, and we know the ambitions of what Saudi Arabia is trying to do on a tourism perspective, Um, but still at the moment, it's it's quite unclear, you know, we'll we'll get the sense of that, I think, when we see the aircraft orders when they actually come to fruition. Um, There's a suggestion in one of the US news outlets that there's a $35 billion Boeing announcement to come. Now, let's see what aircraft type they order. If it's a mixture of narrow body and wide bodies, that will show they've got both a regional ambition and an international, let's say, interconnecting ambition. Whereas looking at Emirates, it only to this day operates wide body aircraft. So there's there's a few things that we're still to find out with what this airline's going to do.
1: Let's look at getting the planes first, Nick. I mean, as you mentioned there, that Wall Mm. Street Journal report, which came out about an hour or two before the actual airline announcement itself. You mentioned India there. We've seen a massive plane order in the last month from Air Mm. India. Will they actually be able to get the planes that they need?
5: Oh, they'll be able to get them, Brandy. It's just when they do get them. (laughs) That's that's the challenge, I think. Um, You know, typically depending on the order book of um, some of the airline programs. So if they're going to Boeing, um, we assume that there will be an order, a partial order for, let's say, the 777X, which is a much delayed aircraft, which Emirates desperately wants. Then there's the Dreamliner, which is the other um, uh, wide body that, Boeing producers, and that has had some manufacturing slowdown. So they might not get new aircraft unless they are able to acquire other aircraft from, let's say, air- airlines in distress and buy their slots in the manufacturing process, maybe another two or three years. So it's how they will do that. And this is why early startups will typically lease in on a short term basis other aircraft to cr- start creating that the processes and systems. And I expect the, the ambitions of the public investment fund in Saudi Arabia is that they do not have the patience to wait two or three years. So I think we're going to see a diversified approach in long-term orders and short-term, um, you know, uh, addressing these, you know, to start this process up faster. And I guess the other thing is you've also, they've also got to fulfill regulatory compliance. So they're going to have to, you know, satisfy the safety regulator in Saudi Arabia that they are a safe distribution airline and they'll get an air operator certificate and, on that basis, they'll have to identify what aircraft they're going to be operating with. So there's so many moving parts in this story.
1: You mentioned where's this airline going to fit into the region? Where's it actually going to fit into Saudi Arabia? I mean, we've got FlyNAS, we've got Saudia, um, there's rumours of a Neon airline, we've got Deal, which is the um, cheaper airline owned by Saudia. Why does Saudi actually even need another carrier?
5: Yeah, it's an interesting question. So, so Saudia, which is, you know, the long-term national carrier. That's going to be relocated to Jeddah, and this new airline is going to be based in Riyadh. Now, I think it's mixed with, if you look at the mega project announcement for the ambition, I think it's um, King Solomon Airport, which by 2030, which is only seven years away, um, they've got ambitions to have this new airport operating 120 million people. Now, that is where the flagship will be. Now, one of the differences, I guess, between Saudi Arabia in the region and, let's say, the competing hubs of um, Doha and Dubai is that Saudi Arabia has a national population which does support um, a domestic um, airline connector, whereas the other competing airlines don't. So that's why you'll have – still have – you know, Saudi will be, as I understand from previous reports, more realigned to supporting regional operations. And the low cost carriers will have a place, particularly even doing domestic operations in Saudi Arabia.
1: 20 seconds. It's uh, only been five minutes since the Gulf carriers in the U.S. Kester made up. Could we see any regulatory issues from the states, do you think, Nick?
5: Well, that is the, you know, if when there's grand ambitions and it's funded by the state, we know the position that US and also the European carriers will take or European regulators will take on this position of state aid. So expect there to be issues in the future in the event that grand ambitions are really pushed into that North American market and across Europe.
1: Nick Humphrey speaking to us this morning from Australia, but he does head uh, the aviation practice for Norton White in the Middle East. We appreciate your time.
0: Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite sized Business Breakfast.
1: Where it's a massive day for markets and a massive day for energy stocks in particular. We've got Saudi Aramco posting the largest ever profits for an oil and gas company and the CEO claiming the largest ever profits for a corporate Full stop. While here in the UAE, Adnot Gas gets ready to list on the ADX a little bit later this morning. Very pleased to be joined by the energy expert, Justin Dargan. He's from the Carnegie Endowment Foundation. Justin, good morning. Thanks for joining us live from Washington.
4: Uh, Good morning. Thank you for having me, Brandy.
1: Let's start with those absolutely fantastic Saudi Aramco numbers, $160 uh, billion in profit for 2022. Is it simplistic to say that this is just a higher energy price story?
4: Well, I mean, what I would say is that, of course, energy prices have been one of the major drivers behind Aramco's uh, record-setting profit. But, I mean, overall, we have to put this in the context of the um uh, macroeconomic reformation has been occurring uh, in Saudi Arabia and, of course, across the region. So what Saudi Arabia is attempting to do is to posit, to place uh, Aramco as uh, being uh, alongside its uh, the, its peers uh, in the West. So, for instance, alongside of mobiles the Shells, and so on and so forth. So that's why Saudi Arabia is really attempting to utilize the profit that it has been uh, gaining uh, with uh, the higher energy prices and plowing that into trying to adapt uh, to the changing market and trying to adopt as well Western best uh, practices. So we can see that, yes, I mean, the greater profit that Ramco has been able to attain is due to the higher energy prices. But then overall, if we look at the sector, we can see that the modernization and also the somewhat westernization and best practices that Saudi Arabia has been attempting to implement is also one of the reasons that Aramco uh, has been able to acquire such a record-setting profit.
1: Well, the Aramco boss, MMS, has also been talking about the dangers of underinvestment in the industry, saying the company is embarking on its largest capital expenditure program in its history. What is needed in the energy space right now, Justin?
4: Well, you see, there's a huge, huge issue in the energy space. So uh, on one hand, at least as it uh, pertains to Western uh, energy companies, uh, you have uh, the governments in the West that have been increasing the tempo of the rhetoric uh, against uh, oil and gas uh, production over the past few years. So when you have an oil company in the West that is looking at where it should be, invest in for the long term it sees that as being a risky proposition to uh to invest in uh oil and gas production so this is why you have seen a type of pullback uh, from investment in production. And you see that now uh, mainly the Western oil companies are sitting on a pile of cash, and they're deciding to prioritize uh, their uh, shareholders. Uh, but underinvestment is going to be a major problem uh, going forward, at least from uh, the side of the Western uh, international oil companies. So as a result, you see the Ramcos, you see Adnoc and other uh, national oil companies are going to come into that space and actually uh, begin to uh, increase their production over the next several years to take advantage of that. Where uh, many of the Western oil companies are fearing to uh, invest in that.
1: How does that work, though, with OPEC constraints and what people can produce and sell? How do those two parts of the pie fit together?
4: Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, here's the thing. Uh, when you have the OPEC quotas, uh, OPEC have, has, of course, uh, released its uh, demand uh, data, uh, which it perceives how oil demand is going to develop over the next uh, several years. And, of course, it sees that demand is uh, global demand is going to remain uh, quite robust. Uh, so what we can expect to see is that uh, over the next uh, year or so that uh, perhaps some of the uh, stricter quotas are uh, going to be uh, are, uh, renovated, are going to be removed and we can start to see an increase in production uh, from these countries. But I do not expect that there's going to be a tight quota system uh, over the next few years going forward. Especially as we see many of the Western oil companies are pulling back from long-term uh, investment in their productive assets.
1: And then we've got Ednot Gas listening today in the W in a couple of hours actually on the ADX. What will you be watching and listening from from Ednot Gas as a listed? Company, what is their role in the global gas picture likely to look like this year?
4: Oh, well, uh, ADNOC is uh, becoming uh, actually quite uh, aggressive in terms of how it uh, intends to adapt itself uh, to uh, the energy transition. Uh, So, uh, ADNOC perceives, and ADNOC Gas, which uh, it's uh, spun off of its main uh, holding company, it perceives that there's going to be a greater demand uh, for its assets. And as opposed to uh, many of the Western uh, IOCs and the pressure that they have been facing from uh, uh, from their countries and from uh, proposed regulations and also lawsuits, uh, ADNOC and ADNOC gas is fairly insulated uh, to that. So you have a type of a unified strategic uh, direction, uh, which is uh, from uh, the government, of course. And then also you have the fact that they are plowing uh, billions of dollars uh, into investment into productive assets. And uh, the war uh, in Europe, of course, is one of the major factors, as they see that uh, Europe is is going to be a major destination uh, for their uh, LNG uh, exports uh, going forward as Europe attempts to diversify away from uh, Russian gas. So, uh, so, again, just to summarise, as we start to see Western oil companies uh, pulling back from long-term investments, we're starting to see the Gulf uh, national oil companies actually moving into that space and taking advantage of the vacuum.
1: 30 seconds left with you, Justin, so let's keep this quick. But how high could energy prices go this year, given all of those factors?
4: Well, it depends on, again, uh, several factors. One, uh, we're going to have to see what happens later on uh, today uh, when the U.S. uh, markets are going to open, if we see if this uh, contagion risk uh, from the bank uh, failures are going to uh, spread. Uh, So, of course, if this happens in the short term, the oil uh, uh, energy sector is not immune to that. Uh, But, however, if that does not happen, I believe that, of course, we're going to see a fairly robust uh, energy uh, share price uh, in terms of oil and natural gas uh, going forward, uh, simply because of the fact that uh, the war in in, uh, Europe is still uh, ongoing and Europe is seeking to uh, still diversify away from Russian uh, natural gas and oil.
1: Justin Dargan, energy expert with the Carnegie Endowment in Washington. Thank you so much for joining us on the line today.
0: Just the highlights. This is the Bite sized Business Breakfast. Big news coming out of OSN last week. They've entered into or further enhanced their relationship with Warner Brothers Discovery, opening up HBO content. They've entered this new multi-year exclusive licensing deal with Warner Brothers Discovery, making it now the official platform to stream all HBO content in the region like this. Why does everyone ask how I'm feeling? I got done a huge deal. I got the election.
6: I got ATM. I got plenty on my plate.
4: He's on the floor, Tom. Explain me what he's doing. He's moseying, terrifyingly moseying. It's like if Santa Claus was a hitman.
0: Uh, Yeah, Succession, obviously, one of the big hits, but uh, one of many huge hits for HBO to reflect on that. Uh, And, of course, The Deal. Absolute pleasure to be joined in the studio uh, to a voice and face familiar to many here in the region. CEO of OSN, uh, Joe Cocobani, joins us live in studio. Joe, lovely to have you with us here. Congratulations on The Deal.
6: Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: Listen, um, let's find out a little bit more about this because obviously uh, the relationship with Warner Brothers Discovery and OSN uh, has been in place for quite some time. You've now extended that relationship with this new deal? What's different from the old old Mm. deal to the new deal? It's a good question.
6: So, yeah, we've been partners with Warner Brothers Discovery for almost a decade right now. And what we've done is two things. We've extended and expanded, in fact, the the relationship. So first, on the HBO side, OSN is now and will remain the home, the exclusive home of HBO content. So you mentioned Succession, and that's airing exclusively on OSN on March 27th at the same time as, as the U.S., uh, in addition to, to HBO, we've also expanded our relationship with Warner by adding, by enriching our library with great content, such as, you know, recent hits like uh, Batman, The Matrix Resurrection, The Suicide Squad. Moreover, on the channel side, we've been carrying Discovery channels and mm-hmm. we've, you know, extended that too. We've added CNN International to the fold. We've also added Cartoon Networks and we're launching an exclusive channel. Purely for HBO Classics, okay. where you can watch, you know, amazing hits like The Wire, The Sopranos, and these will be playing on on that channel. So we're very excited about this deal, and that that's a testament to the strength of OSN in and, and the region.
0: How does this impact current subscribers as well? Will they now need to upgrade their packages? Is there a new dedicated channel?
6: No, not at all, actually. This this is part of the current subscription on OSN. And if you're a subscriber of OSN TV, that will be part of your package. And if you're a subscriber of OSN Plus, you will benefit from all of these shows and you'll see them on our platform as well.
0: And is this what subscribers are looking for at the moment? From what you hear from your clients, from your customers as well, we know that content is king more than ever before at the moment. The content wars are raging out Mm -hmm. there. In fact, Mm -hmm. on the day that the Oscars is showing, it's great to have you here in studio as well. But what was the sort of feedback from consumers and customers that they wanted more quality content?
6: Absolutely, I think today you have you have a lot of offerings in the market, and you can consume content in so many different ways on so many different platforms. What customers are looking for is two things: one is premium content, mm. and HBO is probably the the most sought after you know, content globally. And we talked about Succession, we can talk about White Lotus, we can talk about the House of the Dragons, and so on. So so that, in terms of premium content, that cements OSN's position as the destination for premium content in the region. The other thing that subscribers are looking for is aggregation. Hmm. They don't want to have multiple subscriptions. And this deal comes, you know, alongside other deals we already have on the platform. So we have a deal with Universal, which has a service in the US called Peacock. We have a deal as well with Paramount. We have other deals with other studios. so that, you know, puts OSN in a very unique position where you can aggregate all of this great content in one platform for our subscribers.
0: Um, obviously, com- continually innovating. March last year, you launched OSN Plus as well. Uh, coming up to the year anniversary of yeah. that, what's the reaction been like?
6: Oh, it's, it's been great. Uh, I mean, in all honesty, we've, we were late to the game. Uh, We were a bit late, and we we attempted to launch a streaming service a few years ago, and it wasn't a great success. I think the the customer journey wasn't great, so we rebranded, refreshed, and relaunched about a year ago under OSM Plus, and it's been a, a, a phenomenal success. And, and we're very happy and very pleased with the reaction of, of the market.
0: You mentioned HBO there, and the majority of HBO content um, is English language as well. We mm-hmm. live in a very unique part of the world, and you mm-hmm. operate in a very unique part of the world, when there are so many different, it's a melting pot of cultures and languages. How do you cater and create that balance between English language content, Arabic content, um, uh, Southeast Asian content as well?
6: It's it's also a very good question. So. All of our content is obviously uh subbed in, in Arabic and our customers can enjoy it in any language they want. Uh, but also in addition to HBO, OSN has been focusing on producing its own content. Uh, we've announced recently a new feature uh, called My Driver and I with Ahad Kamil in, in, in Jeddah. We, ju- we are just launching right now for Ramadan Stand-Up Ya Arab, which is a, a a comedy stand-up comedy show that will air every day on Ramadan. And we have a lot of new projects as well in the pipeline.
1: Joe, can I ask you, since it has been Oscars night, the ceremony has just mm. finished. About an Oscars bump ten minutes ago, just as you were walking in, um, one of the uh, the movies that you're showing on your platform, Everything Everywhere, All at Once, got the Best Picture gong. What does that actually mean for viewing figures?
6: Oh, it's it's amazing. So first of all, you can watch the Oscars live on OSN and you can as well watch them and repeat on the platform. You can go back and watch them anytime you want. So for people that Brandy just ruined the surprise for them, they can they can they can go back at night and rewatch the Oscars anytime they want on the platform. Now for the movie, yes, we we've been we have we have this this film on our platform, everything everywhere, and again, it's another. And, and when we say premium content, that's what we mean. So whether it's movies or whether it is these with big studios.
1: Will you see a spike, though, after the Oscars? I mean, do you, after the Emmys or, or anything else, do we see an uptick in award-winning content in terms of the amount of, of viewers that start Yeah,
6: watching give, given the coverage that this movie will get right now, we expect people to go and look for it, for those that have not seen it. I personally have not seen it yet, so I can't wait to see it.
1: What kind of viewing bump do you get from Ramadan, by the way? What happens to figures?
6: I mean, it, the figures are are generally the number of hours that people spend on watching TV and entertainment increases in Ramadan as people have a little bit more time there. So we see we see more engagement, but the engagement skews a little bit more towards Arabic content and Turkish content, mm. and uh, and that's what we see and usually in Ramadan, and that's what we're expecting as well this year.
0: Joe Over uh, the London-based research group suggesting that uh, OSN has uh, close to one million subscribers at the moment. Are they near to the mark close? The mark, and what in terms of subscriber numbers are you setting yourself in terms of uh, ambitions in the next couple of years?
6: So, I think they were talking about OSN Plus alone, not overall OSN. OSN has a much larger number of subscribers if you take as well the, the OSN TV subscriber base, which is our traditional business. Uh, and I'm, apologies for this, but we're a private company owned by a public company, and you know that we can't disclose figures that are not, that are not in the market. In terms of how we look at subscriber numbers and targets and market shares, we try not to focus so much on it right now because there are so many ways you can cut it. So some people look at direct subscribers, others look at subscribers through telcos, um, you know, uh, others look at revenue. So as long as we're growing uh, in number of subscribers, but also we're growing in engagement, which is a big, important thing for us, and we feel we're building a good foundation for the business. So we focus on growth, but also on engagement of subscribers.
0: Joe, out of time on this occasion, um, congratulations to you and all the team on that, deal. Um, I know what you're going to be doing tonight because I'm going to be doing the same thing as well. (laughs) Everything, all at once. You'll be watching it, I'll be watching it. A lot of people will be watching it as well. Uh, Joe uh, Kaukabani, thanks so much indeed for joining us. Great to see you as always in the studio. Thank you, Tom. Big thanks to Joe for joining us live in the studio. He is the CEO of OSN.